Welcome to the podcast of Sozo Church. For more information about Sozo, please visit sozosmtx.com. Thank you, Dustin. Well, I appreciate it. I'm glad that you're enjoying it. Uh, the last few weeks, the looks on your faces have been quite hilarious for me. Um, we've been talking about some tough stuff, and so I, I, I get it. So we're not going to let up this morning, all right? Uh, so actually, this morning, we are going to talk a little bit uh, about uh, sexuality and some of that stuff. And so parents or people just that are sensitive to talking about that stuff, I guarantee you it's going to be really good news. Um, but if you're young, it'll be, probably be PG-13. So parents, if you want to take a second to uh, excuse your kids, or if that's not a topic you want to hear this morning, totally understand. Um, so I'll just give you a second uh, to sneak out. You can wait a minute or two so it looks like you're going to the bathroom <laughs> instead of responding to my invitation for you to take a step out. Oh, how many of you know that our culture is seemingly increasingly sexualized? Yes? You know, if you were to look at a timeline and begin to see, okay, what's, what's really going on? I think here's what you would find, is that what we're experiencing today is actually the fruit of the 60s and 70s. It's actually the fruit of the sexual revolution. And here's the way this thing has happened, is that what happens in the dark in one generation happens on the stage in the next. And so what I've observed in my 39 and a half years of life is this. So often what parents struggle with in one generation, what gets left undealt with in one generation is visited more loudly to the next. And here's the good news of the gospel of the kingdom, is that not simply in Jesus is there a forgiveness of sin, but there's also a restoration of innocence that changes everything. And I believe this, that if we're going to be who God's called us to be as the people of Jesus, a bright light, a city on a hill that cannot be hidden, then even the things that we've wrestled with in the dark need to be submitted to King Jesus. So not one ounce of our lives can be held against us by the accuser as we're walking and holding out life to a world desperately in need of it. And I think it would be quite easy for us, church, to play the finger-pointing blame game at the world. Look at them, they've gone crazy. I can't believe everything that's going on in the LGBTQ plus movement, and I can't believe they would be pushing that stuff. And we have to take a second and look at our own lives and say, have we actually surrendered our authority to speak on these issues? Have, have we compromised and made room? And, and here's the way the compromise goes, by the way. Everybody's doing it, 
so I'll try it. Once you try it, you are it. And if you are it, you can't change it. And it's, it's the way of sin is that it grabs a hold of our lives in a moment of curiosity or compromise in a way that the enemy, once he gets his foot in the door, he wants to destroy everything. I remember for me, I think I was in first grade and it was a guy's birthday party, sleepover deal. And I remember guys, nothing happened, but I remember the conversations in that moment and the havoc that it would wreak in my life in the years to come. And it wasn't even something that I initially willingly entered into. And yet, in that moment, the enemy planted seeds that would bring incredible destruction in my life. And so many of us get lured and enticed when we have no idea what we're stepping into. And before we know it, we're stuck in patterns that we can't escape. And we find ourselves hopeless and our authority surrendered. And then what happens is we find ourselves making excuses for everybody else and agreeing with lies that lead to destruction. And I believe for us, I know on the evidence of my own life and the transformation, the work that God's done in me, is that there is a hope and a promise of a restoration of your innocence. And that everything that the enemy has stolen from you can be restored. Amen? And so we've been talking in this series called Holy Rebels, really how do we engage culture from a kingdom perspective? And as we started, I gave you three values. One is uncompromising holiness. The second one is unshakable love. And the third one is unwavering truth. And you see, what I realized is, I, I, I realized there's a need to talk about everything that's going on in our culture. But if we don't address the issues first in our own life, we have no authority to talk about what's going on in culture. And so I believe this morning what God wants to do is, is he wants to work powerfully in our lives in this place. And the truth is, as I'm talking, many of you are like, oh man, I don't really want to do this this morning. <laughs> or you're feeling the weight and the shame. And the, and the truth is, the, the sexualization of our culture has not left the church untouched. In fact, if you were to, to look at the stats, just in, in one category, it's something like 91 or 92% of men wrestle at least on a monthly basis with pornography. And it's in the high 60s for women. That's significant. That talks about incredible bondage. And the stats are not very different inside of the church 
or outside of the church. Here's what we're not doing this morning, by the way, just so you can be at ease. This is not the shame game. We don't do shame in our church family. Shame is a tactic of the enemy and it will not change lives. It will only destroy. In fact, I grew up in a day, oh, what was it called? It was the true love waits day, anybody? Right, and I had the purity ring that I accidentally lost, not because. <laughs> and, uh, and, and so much of it, though rooted in good intentions, came with incredible shame. And the, the truth is, regardless of your story and your experiences, what you've done, what's been done to you, there's incredible life in Jesus. It's incredible hope in Jesus. And the, the power of the gospel is not simply that your sins were forgiven in a way that marks you not guilty or pardoned, like there just wasn't enough evidence against you to stick. But it, it works in such a way that it touches every fiber of your life. One of my friends calls it a baptism of innocence. It's that you become what you were always meant to be in Jesus. In fact, in my experience, what God does is that he not just removes the stain on your life, on your soul, but he actually begins to remove the stain on your very conscience, the stain on your memories. I believe that God has that for us today. Many of you know the, the story in John chapter eight. We call it the woman caught in adultery. So I was reading through this. I realized that all of us find ourselves in one of the three main categories of this story, the three character categories of this story. So Jesus has gotten away to pray. He comes back, says he appears at the temple. And so he's talking. And some of the religious leaders bring this woman caught in the act of adultery. I still haven't figured out how there is one. I don't know where the other person is in the story. But if you notice this, religion has a way of finding people who are not like us to point the finger at. Right? So you've got First century Judaism was dominated by men. And what you find is the men somehow figured out how to get a woman, somebody not like them, in order to put all of the blame and shame on. And the truth is, she was simply a pawn in their scheme to trap Jesus. And so they, they bring the woman, and it sounds to me like they basically throw her, thrust her at Jesus' feet. And the trap is this, they're trying, they know that Jesus is preaching something different than all of their other folks. So they're trying to trap Jesus with the law. So they say, the law commands that such a woman be stoned. You know this, that the wages of sin are death. So they're trying to get Jesus, okay, is he gonna go the, road of 
grace or is he going to be party to her death? So Jesus says, here's the deal. Whoever is without sin gets to cast the first stone. It says this, that one by one, they walked away. The oldest to the youngest. Until only two characters are left. Jesus and the woman. Woman, I imagine, like you felt shame before, but you probably haven't felt shame to the place of being within moments of your life. So she's probably curled up in a ball in the fetal position, I imagine. And as I think about our relationship, church, to the culture around us, I see culture in the fetal position. Terrified of what we will do. My imagination tells me that Jesus doesn't stay on his feet. He doesn't respond to her. Woman, where are your accusers now? Go and leave your life of sin. No. I imagine his position is like this. Woman, look around. Nobody's accusing you. They've all left. Because the truth is, they're as trapped as you are. Go and leave your life of sin. How many of you know when Jesus says something, he's not giving good advice that is encouraging to your psyche. He's speaking words of life that come with the power of the Holy Spirit so that you have everything you need to live it out. His words are the seeds of transformation. And so you and I, we find ourselves in one of three places. Are we holding stones? Here's how we get to the stones. We end up holding stones because shame always looks for someone else to blame. Because we haven't dealt with our own stuff. And if we don't deal with our own stuff, then we'll look to make enemies of other people so that we can take the spotlight of attention off of us and put it onto them.
what we do when we hold stones is that we cling to truth as if it were separated from love. But you'll never have real truth separate from love. You'll never have the complete truth separated from love. And so the best that the stone holders could expect to do was to punish the woman for her sin, not offer her life. You and I can run around cursing culture all day long with a little bit of truth and find that we haven't helped anybody. So you could be the one holding the stone. My thought, having been a stone holder myself, is that probably the right thing to do is to first lay down your stone. Right? Second, before I can ever make the move from being a stone holder to being like Jesus, I have to deal with the stuff in here. Not simply the sin, though that's crucial. I love what 1 John 1.9 says. It says that if we confess our sin, that he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to purify us, make us pure. That's what purify means, purify us. Restore our purity from all of our unrighteousness. There is something about the power of our confession that invites the redeeming work of God, the purifying work of God. When I say, God, this is where I've blown it, there's an invitation for him to come and purify me. For you and I, that means that we have to own our stuff. Right? Like that's, that's crucial. You see, God can't come into or won't come into an area that he's not invited into. Except for this, the next line. And purify us from all unrighteousness. So here's what that means. If I want to lay down my stones, I have to Say, God, this is where I know that I have blown it, been stuck in pornography and sexual sin. I've been cheating. I've been entertaining these thoughts, and I have compromised in all of these ways, like just to own it before God. It does do some benefit to killing shame, begin to own that even before somebody else. I'm not going to be your priest, so you can find somebody else. <laughs> Honestly, I've, had, I've heard so much of that, I don't, it's, I'm not, it, you can't scare me. Um, but I, I don't need to be the person to hear all of your stuff, that's what I'm saying. But the second part of that verse 
is to purify us from all unrighteousness. Some of us have been so trapped in strongholds of sexual sin that we don't even know fully what we've done. And so what religion would say is, well, you need to make a list of all the stuff you've done. You're like, I don't even know. And here's the promise of God. Is that when you have been stuck and you've, maybe you've totally forgot, he's so good that he'll take care of all of it. So if you miss something, he's still got it. He's good enough to pour out his grace on that. So I believe the call for the church today is that we would throw down our stones. The truth is many of us feel trapped and stuck like the woman who was caught in adultery. And the strongholds that are holding us are keeping us from the very life that we need. Now we know this, that the new covenant's different from the old covenant and that those religious leaders were operating under the old covenant. At the same time, they still should have been the ones who were brokering grace for the sake of that woman. They should have been the one to say, hey, we need to deal with this so we can get you restored. I've got this lamb over here. We're gonna go make a sacrifice for you. We're we're, we're gonna cover you. It's not gonna be so everybody can see and know your stuff, but we're gonna cover you. I, I believe this about you, Sozo Church, that that's who you are, that you are a safe place for people who are trapped and that you don't play the shame game and the blame game. And so my encouragement, if you're stuck, find somebody that's trustworthy and let them in. And so many times what I've seen is that there is this fear that keeps us trapped from the very life that we need. So obviously in the story we have the religious folks, the woman, and then we have Jesus. Talk a little bit more about this next week. Jesus doesn't excuse her sin. He doesn't call it something else. It's not just a a disorder or a compulsion, though it may have some disorder and some compulsion to it. He says, hey, you have to leave your life of sin. And the, the thing is, is that for you and I, follower of Jesus, we have to be people who hold out the way of life without shame or judgment as an invitation 
So we're not shocked by people's sin. Instead, we help them discover life in Jesus. Jesus wasn't saying, hey, everything you've done is okay. Or you were just born that way. Or you just have those proclivities. But instead, Jesus was saying, hey, I just, I made you for more. There's better for you than this. And I'm going to help you. I'm going to empower you to discover that. Colossians 120. Let me go back for a second. Here's what you need to know. This is what I discovered in my own stuff. That most of our wrestling with sexual sin issues is a sexualization of our real needs. Another way to say it is, you're trying, attempting to fulfill legitimate needs illegitimately. There are learned ways that you're attempting to cope, that you're attempting to get love, that you're attempting to handle stress, that you're attempting to find identity, that you're attempting to find worth. And what happens is we find these patterns that even to our brain chemistry begin to give us the short-sighted rewards and comforts that we need in order to cope. And so the truth is, now here's, here's what really messed with me. Religion really messed with me. It actually trapped me for quite a while. Here are the two lies that I heard. One was you just need to try harder. That didn't work. I'll give you three, actually. Another one I heard is you just need to stop. I'm like, I'm trying. Can we laugh at that lie? It's like, yeah. That, that's not helpful. And the third one that I heard, probably the worst one of all, oh, you're just going to struggle with this for the rest of your life. Oh, that's horrible. There's no hope in that message. I think that message hasn't met Jesus. Now, let me say this about temptation and the stronghold of sin. Sometimes we confuse those two, okay? A stronghold is a house of thought built on lies that affects the patterns of your life. That is very different than temptation. You see, when temptation meets a stronghold, it wreaks havoc on your life. But if you're wrestling with temptation, it's not a sign that you're stuck in a stronghold. Are you with me? Adam and Eve were perfect. No sin. And yet they were still susceptible 
to temptation, even though they didn't have a sin nature. Many people working to recover, especially from sexual addiction and dysfunction and all of that stuff, many of those folks, what they think, what they begin to believe, what I believed was that if I'm free, then the temptation will go away. If you're experiencing temptation, it just means that you're alive. Okay? But where temptation is able to grab a hold of and begin to pervert a need or grab a hold of a stronghold, it will lead you into a trap that makes things worse and worse and worse. So, this isn't, by the way, one of those messages that's like, oh, like, I've been doing really good this week so I can preach on it. It's like if you talk to Lauren, I've been doing really good for a long time, like a long time, or I would be a dead man. Like, yeah, more than 15 years, good, okay? By the way, let that be hope for you. If you're stuck, you need to, you need to understand this that that hasn't been an issue for me for 15 plus years. And here's what I found. I discovered I had some more time, so I'm just going to talk for a little longer. (laughs) So what, what I found in that whole thing is one, that I was sexualizing real needs. And as I've learned a little bit about the way the brain works, it's like I was just stuck trying to cope with my needs, and I found an easy reward that just made things worse. But I also found this, is that it was, I I knew that I had a call from God on my life. Let me say this to you. talked about this for a second last week. You have a call from God on your life. It's not just pastors and preachers and whatever else. You have a call from God on your life. But this is why Paul in 1 Corinthians 6 says that when you engage with sexual sin, you're sinning against your own body. And you're a temple of the Holy Spirit, the place where God dwells. John, when he's writing the church in Thyatira in Revelation chapter 2, he says this, I hold this against you, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel who leads you into the trap of sexual immorality. And then he says this, he says, to those who overcome, I give authority to the nations. And what I found was that the stronghold of sexual sin in my life was robbing me from the authority that God was giving me so that I could fulfill my call. And so many of us don't realize all that we're forfeiting when we allow shame and guilt to keep us locked. And the truth is, Jesus wants in. He wants in. Let me also say this, and few minutes, we're going to pray 
for you. We'll have a time for you to receive ministry if you'd like. And I believe this, that God wants to do a work today that is transformative for you. But let me also say this. For most of us, once we experience freedom, or for all of us, once we experience freedom, it puts us back in the garden with two trees and a choice. Okay? And so, you don't need to think, oh, I, I had a moment that's real, and now everything's changed, and so I, I don't have to talk to anybody, I don't have to deal with it, I don't have to whatever. But if you've made a mess relationally, if you're married, what, all of those things, you, ha- you have to work through that stuff as best you can. But also, you need probably, most likely, people to walk that stuff out with you. But walking that stuff out doesn't look like a shame group. Now, we, we call them all sorts of things like accountability groups. That's not the point. Like I've... Any of you have ever been in an accountability group? The, one, the ones I were in, we would ask this question. At the very end, is there anything that you lied about? <laughs> and I bet we were 50-50 on that one. <laughs> and we knew the question was coming. But the truth is, my experience, those were rooted in religion. And it wasn't so much the questions or even the people, it was the culture that we were experiencing. It was that idea that you'll always be stuck, you need to try harder, all, all of that stuff. What, what you need is very different than that. You need people that are willing to walk with you, call you into identity, remind you of all that Jesus paid for, help you understand even why you're prone to fall into, into temptation. Like there's just different times that you're more susceptible does that make sense? Let me, let's, let me, ah, two more things. I'm just going to keep going because um, I'm having fun. Y'all, y'all all right? Okay. One, we, we know this, that men and women are wired differently for the most part. There's overlap, there's outliers, all that stuff. Uh, and so men and women experience lust and sexual temptation differently. For women, it's often more relational. It's why a, a romance novel is more tempting and just as much of a trap as pornographic images. Okay? And so I think it's important that we deal with all of that stuff in our life. By the way, if you were to look at the stats, the, the connection between Pornography and human trafficking is heart-wrenching. And the truth is, so there's a lie that if I look at that, then it doesn't cost anybody anything. I indulge in that, it doesn't cost anybody anything. But the truth is, you're actually supporting, even if it's not your dollars, but advertising dollars sent to you, or sent from you to that, you're actually supporting slavery. It's It's significant. But men and women deal with it differently. And 
you have every right spouse to feel cheated on. At the same time, that's typically not what's going on internally. And you have the opportunity, and I want to give you the invitation to be a grace giver in the middle of that. And you may need somebody else to walk with you as you handle all that. Because the truth is, your spouse may seem like the one that's stuck, but the damage is really deep. So it's important that you have, that you have people that will walk with both of you. And sometimes that process of walking out of those patterns takes a long time, and it doesn't discredit the work Jesus did on the cross. His grace will meet you all along the way. Here's a, another lie we often believe is that I was free, I went back, and so I'm trapped again. And I have to start all over. You don't have to start all over. You start fresh today. You start fresh today. And so don't, don't feel hopeless. Don't be stuck. So Colossians 1.20. It says, And by the blood of his cross, Jesus Everything in heaven and on earth is brought back to himself, back to its original intent, restored to innocence again. You see, the power of the gospel is not simply that the legal slate is wiped clean, but that you can experience a restoration of your innocence completely. That the stain of sin is removed by the blood of the Lamb. For some of us, our innocence was taken, not given up. God wants to restore that. For others of us, we made deliberate decisions that surrendered our innocence. And there is grace for that. God will restore you. Some have experienced the horrific consequences in their marriages and kids and in relationships. And God wants to bring restoration to that. Thank you, Jesus, that you're here. That you're not far off. Thank you, Lord, that you're calling us as your sons and daughters to return to our innocence in you and to be the ones that walk in holiness, that live in love and that are grounded in truth that we could be a bright light for the world around us. Lord, I thank you that this morning that you're breaking chains of shame. That you're setting captives free 
from destructive patterns, from devastating experiences. I want to invite the ministry team up in a room like this. There are some folks I know that need to trust their life to Jesus. You just need to say, hey, I'm all in with Jesus. I want to experience the forgiveness, the restoration of innocence that that Joel was talking about that you can find in Jesus. Today would be a great day to give your life to Jesus. I know there are also folks in here that you just need somebody to pray with you. My message wasn't necessarily for you, but just with the issues that you've got going on in life, you just need somebody to partner with you in prayer. I heard stories last week from people being healed, God just doing miraculous work. I believe he wants to do that again this morning. And then there are some of you that you need to, in one way or another, you need to respond to what I was sharing this morning. And that may be that you stay in your seat. That's fine. Respond to God, not to me. It may mean that you walk towards these folks and get them to scoot out of the way and you just have some time praying at the, at the altar. Or it may mean that you want somebody just to lay hands on you and just to bless you. And I, I believe this, that if you'll let these folks pray with you, that God wants to, it's what he's already paid for, he's already decided to do it, but he wants to baptize you in innocence. He wants to restore innocence to you. Now, do you need somebody to pray with you to experience that? No, but I think there's something supernatural. There's a grace this morning for you to experience that. And here's what'll happen, is that I believe, church, that God wants to restore our authority to us. And that doesn't look like telling the world what to do. It looks like being a bright light that draws the world to Jesus. So would you stand and just invite you just to respond however God leads you to to respond. I feel like for some, there's going to be a phenomenal breakthrough just as you allow somebody to pray with you this morning. And church family, we don't know why people come forward. There's all sorts of stuff. And so we're not gonna try to figure out who's coming forward and who's wrestling with what. We're not gonna do shame. We're just gonna let people receive from God. And it probably has nothing to do with what you think it has to do with, but just invite you to respond as God's leading you.